Morning, Lakeside. Great. Keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, if you you would. We're in the second uh, sermon of what's going to be a longer series. We'll do it in chunks called Messy Church, Majestic Gospel. And I'll say at the end of the service as we're leaving, if your life is a mess, you're visiting us today, you're going to fit right in here with this crowd. Uh, we, we're, we're a messy church, but we have a majestic gospel, amen? We're singing as, as Chris was leading us in the goodness of God, especially as it pertains to our topic today. I'm just so thankful for God's goodness. Now, if you'll notice the actual title that was picked out somewhere in the middle of the week is how to destroy a church. I'm kind of on our slides today. It would be how to divide a church. So it's a little bit different kind of a message thinking from the backside of what we don't want to happen. If I was to title it today, uh, the, the message would be four easy ways to split a church. And, uh, and I want to see, we want to see from Uh, Paul's passage today about how he was trying to correct this church that was on the verge of splitting either right down the middle or four different, uh, hundred different uh, directions. And so I'm going to really ask that the Lord would would, uh, uh, sink this into our minds and our hearts here today, that our history uh, going forward, what's coming ahead of us would be just a, a unified group of believers centered around the cross of Christ, uh, sharing the gospel hope in a lost and dying world, uh, that would be a worthy goal. So let me have the, uh, a word of prayer. I know we prayed a couple of times. I'm just going to ask the Lord to bless this specific uh, passage of Scripture. Father, thank you for your many blessings. I, I'm, uh, I'm preaching of this morning from an unbelievable, beautiful place of unity in our church and uh, gospel-centeredness of the people. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would use uh, this uh, passage of Scripture and this message and put it deep down in our hearts, Lord, that Lakeside Fellowship would be a light in a dark world and that it would be a bright light here and it would shine to all the nations, from our neighborhood to all the nations. I just ask that you would do a work right now in Christ's precious name. Amen. So I just want to remind you, since this is the, the uh, uh, second sermon, uh, and, and maybe you weren't here last Sunday, didn't watch the, 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 the live cast or whatever, um, Paul is writing a letter. He's in Ephesus. He's writing a letter to Corinth. Six years earlier or thereabouts, he had planted the church in Corinth. He stayed there 18 months. And now he's traveled back around and he finds himself in Ephesus where he wrote a a letter. At one point, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus. But now he's there and he gets a report that things aren't going well at the church in Corinth. And so he's going to write a letter to the church at Corinth. He had been there 18 months and then he had taken off. Uh, So he's probably been gone around four or five years since he's been back to the church. And you'll see that he gets a report that things aren't going well in the church. If you look at verse 10 and 11 that Adam just read in 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, they weren't, that there be no divisions among you, there were, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment they weren't. And here's the report he gets while he's in Ephesus. Verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
Now, this is the only time that Chloe is mentioned in Scripture. We don't know anything about Chloe. I've always assumed it's a lady, and uh, just by the way that we uh, use, uh, use that name. But in that day, it could have been a man, uh, probably, probably a lady, and she gives a report somehow to Paul that, man, the church in Corinth that you started there, that church is a mess, and they're getting ready to like split down the middle or go out of existence. And so Paul writes this letter. Uh, the church is riddled with problems. It's a messy church. There's sin that's not being spoken against all over the church. And Paul's going to write this letter. And this is a case study for Lakeside Fellowship in how not to split a church. Now, I'm assuming that you're with me on this. We do not want Lakeside to split or divide. Amen? We don't want that. The, the best church splitters, best division that we can do is take a group of people and plant another church, but that's joyous. And church splits, if you've ever been a part of them, church divides. The destruction of a church is not a joyous thing for anybody involved. And so I want us to think, and I'm, I'm coming from a place of total praise this morning. In a couple of months, Lakeside will have existed for 19 years. And although we've had our burdens and we've had our blessings, over the 19 years, we have for all intents and purposes been of the same mind and the same spirit, and we've never been corporately at odds with one another. Praise God, amen. Let's give him a hand right now, because it's all God. We want to remain unified in action and thought and the way we think and the way we do things. And so uh, today's um, today's sermon is looking at it from the backside, how to divide a church, or four easy steps to splitting a church. And obviously, we want to write these down so we don't do this. That's the, that's the idea of the sermon today, and I think you'll see it from, from the text. So I'm going to give you four mindsets or four actions that will absolutely rip a church apart, destroy a church, divide a church, split a church, make church no fun to, to, to come together, no no unity in the church. So four mindsets. Let me start with the very first one, which is right in our first couple of verses here. How to divide, how to split a church, four easy ways. Number one, start quarreling over personal preferences. Now, uh, let me read verses 10 through 12 of 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is, here's the word, quarreling among you, my brothers. There's, there's quarreling among you. What I mean, and he tells us what he means by quarreling, what I mean is that each one of you, so it, this is almost across the board in the church. Paul just doesn't say a few of you. He says, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow, or I follow Christ. And so we want to zero in on the word quarreling. When he says they were quarreling, what's, what's he talking about? Well, he chose a word from that language that means to verbally spar. It means to be contentious. It means to be divisive. It means that there were dissensions, and he's saying each one of you are participating in this. You're, you're, you're like verbally sparring, 
And it's the idea in this particular word of actually getting heated. Like your, your, your blood pressure is going up. And here's what you need to know just about the word quarreling that we find. In almost every list of vices in the New Testament, there's six or seven lists that just list a whole bunch of sins that you should be... In almost every list, the idea of quarreling and divisions is a part of the list. Let, let me just give you one of those many lists of, of things that are a part of the flesh, they're not a part of the Spirit of God. So this is Galatians 5, the couple of verses that immediately lead into the fruit of the Spirit. So this is going to be the exact opposite of being Spirit-led. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, they had that going on at Corinth. Impurity, they had that going on at Corinth. Sensuality, they had that going on. Idolatry, they couldn't figure that out in chapter 8. Sorcery, it doesn't mention. Enmity, yes. Strife, yes. That's the word quarreling right there. Jealousy, fits of anger, and then rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. These are all from the flesh. They're not from God. Envy, drunkenness, they're going to have to deal with that in 1 Corinthians 11 at communion, orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. Now notice how seriously God uh, takes quarreling. I warn you as I warn you for that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's going to say a little bit later, uh, avoid those kind of people. So, so he's saying that like if you're just given to fighting, verbally sparring all the time, if I'm just reading this correctly, you should, you should check whether your profession of salvation actually took, because this is not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the flesh. Now, notice the terms in those first couple of verses of our passage today. Agree means to use the same words. United in the same mind, that means to think alike. The same judgment that means to make decisions and come to conclusions based on what is true. So, so I, want you to, I want you to generally uh, use the same words. I want you to be united in how you think. I want you to come to some conclusions as a, as a church family th that you're in agreement on. And we're, I'll, I'll have a little uh, diagram here in just a second to help us think about that. Now, what were they quarreling about? That's what we want to say. Well, they were quarreling. And this is the first thing out of all of these problems that Paul wants to address. Right off the bat, this is the top of his mind. Well, what were they quarreling about? Well, uh, if you read verse 12, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. They were, they were arguing about who, like maybe our way of saying, who's the best preacher? Which preacher do you like? Who, who do you, so, so they had all of these personalities. So they were following personalities. It would be the cult of personality. Everybody had their favorite. In chapter 6, they were suing one another. So, so, so they weren't united. They were, they were fighting over some personal thing between several people. In chapter 8, they're fighting over actual meat offered to idols. And what would happen is uh, there, would be, there would be sacrifices to an idol that, that doesn't exist. It does in somebody's mind, but doesn't actually exist. And so they wouldn't burn all the meat. So just think of prime rib. So they're offering this meat offered to idols. Nothing happens to it. And then they're like, well, what are we going to do with the meat? Well, let's actually just go sell the meat. So you're in the, you're in the market, and you have this prime rib that's just a beautiful piece of prime rib, but it's been offered to idols, which don't exist. And then you have prime rib just like that over here. This is 
$20 a pound. This is $40 a pound. Uh, I think I'm actually going to buy the $20 a pound prime rib right here. But this person over here is like, I can't, I'm going to spend 40 bucks because that's actually been offered to an idol and my conscience would really bother me. So they're going to argue and quarrel over, should I eat that meat or should I not eat that meat? That's going to put it on the calendar. That's, uh, That's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you turn to chapter 11, they were arguing at communion. Just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in your device. I just want to read a couple of verses here. So they, they were arguing over about everything. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 17. So he's given instructions on how to do communion. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together for communion of all things, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And then he says something very telling in verse 19. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So they were fighting over communion. When we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they're fighting over who has what gift. Well, you're a speaker. I want the spotlight on me. Well, I have the gift of mercy, and I'm helping people Sunday afternoon through uh, the next Sunday morning, and I'm actually out in the community helping people, and I want people to notice me. No, I want people to notice me. And so they were fighting over anything you could possibly fight over. I would not want to pastor this church. I'm praising God that this is For all that I know, unless I'm fooled, this is not Lakeside Fellowship. So here's the diagram that that has been used to just be helpful. And so much, a whole series could be done just on absolutes, convictions, and preferences. So I, I just want you to help visualize where personal preferences enter the scheme of how you should conduct your life, how the church should conduct your life. So you have absolutes. It is the core of what unites us at Lakeside Fellowship. What do we believe about the things that we believe? And so here are some of the things that would go in the absolutes. God is creator. Uh, the Bible is absolute authoritative and God-breathed. Um, uh, man and women sinned, uh, uh, starting with Adam and Eve. The Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. The virgin birth of Christ. The sinlessness of Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're not debating those. These are, these are absolutes. The salvation in Christ alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. We believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Uh, we, we believe as an absolute that you come in here a sinner and you can absolutely receive the grace of God today. There's no impediment between you and God. There's only one mediator. Uh, that's Christ. There aren't multitudes of mediators. And by confessing Christ and seeking forgiveness, your sins can be taken away. And so an absolute would be the cross of Christ. And so you would put a number of those, okay, here's where it's stated in Scripture. This is not even debatable. And this is the thing that, this is the tie that binds Lakeside Fellowship. We agree on the absolutes. And then according to Paul, then you make decisions based on the absolutes, and those are your convictions, those are the things you, they're, they're, they're reasonable conclusions from the absolute truth. And so some of those would be like, okay, I want to please Christ with my life. That's a conviction. I want to prioritize church. Christ shed his blood for the church. 
Uh, I want to attend church. I want to serve at church. I want to give at church. I want, I want to be a part of unity. Those would be convictions. And your convictions can be, could be 20. Uh, they could be 10. They could be 100. You have convictions. And then you get down to the next level, which are personal preferences. And, and these, would be, these would be things that you wouldn't necessarily find a chapter and a verse, uh, but, but they're meaningful to you. And if I were to come over and have a, have a conversation with you, they would be convictions of yours. Now, you wouldn't be able to necessarily give me a chapter and verse, but man, you're living your life by them. So somebody else might see it as a preference. You see it as a conviction. Do you see, do you see where we're going here? So here's some personal preferences. Bible version you use. Worship style. Do we have pews or do we have chairs or do we have pew chairs? I'm for the third one, by the way. That's my preference. Organ, and you're sitting out in the just chairs. Or do you, would you guys prefer pew chairs too? Okay, we'll keep talking and we'll get them eventually. Organ or keyboard? Piano or keyboard? Dress down, dress up. Per, public school, private school, Christian school. That's going to be a personal preference, but if you have that preference, that's going to be a conviction to you. Do you see, do you see how, how, how this happened? Uh, you have certain authors you read. You have podcasts you listen to. Some of you will clap and raise your hands. Others, well, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, here's one based on the Scripture. Uh, you like a thinking pastor. Some of you like a passionate pastor. And some of you like the 25-minute pastor. <laughs> or... How about all three of those guys together? So, if you're a young person and you're living in a home, you do not have the right to say to your dad or mom, my personal preference is that I don't go to, you know, whatever it is. No, you live under the absolutes and convictions of your mom and dad, amen? If you're going to be a godly parent, you're going to explain what are absolutes, what are convictions, and why this is a personal preference to you. Do you see what I'm saying? You're going to, you're going to provoke a child to wrath if you make every one of your personal preferences you demand it out of your children. So you want to be loving, but you want to, you want to get this diagram out there and you want to talk about these, these are non-negotiables, son. Right. We're, we're, we're not debating this. Right. There's some room down over here. There's no room in the bullseye right there. Now, Paul gave a stiff rebuke for quarreling and divisions. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have taught, and you avoid them. And basically what he's saying is you don't allow them in, into, the, into the assembly. Um, Augustine in the 400s, and then the Moravians, this wonderful group of people that were so missionary-minded in the 1400s, grabbed onto this slogan, in essentials, unity in non-essentials liberty, give some room for people to have different opinions in all things charity. I think, as we should expect, God's Word has the best answer for us when it comes to absolute convictions and preferences. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, prefer one another. You know you're in trouble whenever you have something that's clearly a personal preference and you're demanding everybody else lives to your personal preference. You see what I'm saying? And so as a church family, this morning it was a little cool in here, now it's a little warm in here. Okay, everybody's going to have a personal preference. The moment we turn the heat on, somebody else is going to get hot and the moment we turn the air on, somebody's going to get cold. Are you following me on that? So we should prefer one another. Step number two to split a church 
failed to recognize local spiritual leadership. Local spiritual leadership. Now look at verse 12. Uh, and, and Paul says, well, the quarreling. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And so each one's, each one's doing their own thing. Well, let's just talk about those individuals that are mentioned. Paul was the founder of the church. In chapter 4 and verse 15, he, med, he led many of them to the Lord himself. He stayed 18 months, and he's going to represent to the people that are at the church the glory days. Like, oh man, anybody here ever said that in recent years? Oh man, back in the day, the glory days, you know, kind of thing. So Paul hadn't been there in three or four years, but they were following Paul. I can understand that. The second guy I mentioned is Apollos. He came for two years. He followed Paul. So Paul actually brought him in uh, to teach the church, to teach these believers, and he stayed two years. So we're six years into the church. First 18 months are Paul. The next couple of years round in there are Apollos. And here are the words uh, to describe Apollos in Scripture. Fervent, bold, excellent in the Scriptures. Uh, he, he had a high intellect. He was a gifted discipler. Like, I could, like, if this guy had a podcast, I'm listening to it every, you know, you know, see what I'm saying? Like, like I could see why people want to follow him. Like, that, like this guy would be easy to follow. He, he, he spent time having coffee with me and taught me the scriptures. Like, I'm going to follow that guy. The third guy was Cephas, who, uh, I don't know why they didn't just say Peter, uh, but it was Peter. He was one of the original disciples. Um... If you were a Jewish believer, you would have idolized him because he kind of stood up for you. He was a pillar in the church. Now, here's what I want you to notice about Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. And this is why I chose those words uh, for this point. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas were not in the current church. Are you catching the drift here? You got a church that's gathering right here. And we're following Paul over here. If you follow Paul, this is the section you sit in. We're following Apollos in this church. This is the section you sit in. And over here, you guys are going for Cephas. You can snarl at each other all you want. The poor guy that's standing up here, nobody's following him apparently. And so they're following people that aren't even in the church. God's plan for a church is to see a group of people trust in Christ, and then in 1 Timothy and in Titus, he says, now you need to organize. There needs to be elders, and there needs to be deacons, and there's got to be some kind of structure going on to this, and the word for elder is overseer. There's got to be, there's got to be some spiritual people that are guiding the ship in the right direction. They're not ruling. They're just leading, and it's amazing to me because all the way through all 16 chapters, there's not an elder or deacon even mentioned in all of the whole letter. He, he writes the letter in verse 2 to the church. Now, I'm thinking if Paul wrote the letter today to Lakeside, you guys would all get the letter. I didn't get the letter. I mean, something is wrong here. And so they lacked uh, recognized uh, spiritual leadership. Now, I praise God, Friday night, the elders and deacons, we all got together for uh, a day of fasting, a time of communion. We had a meal together, and then we all shared what's going on in our lives, and we prayed for one another. 
I am so, I, I came home from, from that five or six hours together like I'm praising God for the, for the beauty of having people with messy lives be united for the cause of Christ. And you should be thankful as well for the men uh, that lead and the spiritual women that play an unbelievable role in teaching and guiding and uh, keeping their men on course and just radically. I've said so many times there are more spiritual women in this church than there are men. It's like, men, come on, let's get going here. And uh, so anyways, thank God for leadership. Now, I just want to mention the fourth group. And you would think on the surface that this is a good thing. So some say I follow Paul. Some say I follow Paulus. Some say, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, what could be wrong with saying, I follow Christ? Well, for some reason, he's got this list in a thing that's causing divisions. And so I'd like to think about this just a little bit different here. It sounds spiritual to say, I follow Christ. It sounds great on the surface, but I'm not thinking it's a, it's a compliment here. I believe this group went totally opposite of the other three groups. They were going to have no human leaders that they recognized whatsoever. There was going to be no kind of God-given, spiritual, uh, mature men or women over them that they have to be accountable to. They're just going to go straight to Christ. I don't need your leadership. I don't need to follow your leadership. I, I, to me, I, and, and it's almost like this group is the most snobby of all the groups. You're following Paul. You're following Paulus. You're following Peter. Well, I follow Christ. And we want to, in context, say, yes, we are all following Christ. That's the idea of mature spiritual leadership is to lead you to Christ. God's structure is for elders and deacons, leading, not ruling. Men and women of spiritual maturity and experience being led by the Spirit of God themselves. There's no recognition of that here. For my money, and I've been in the church business a long time, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. I just want you to think about that. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. Here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews wrote. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. That's the idea of an overseer. Uh, we have eight, uh, four lay elders, four paid elders, uh, as those who will have to give an account, we're going to give an account for this flock. Let, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So I think, number two, fail to recognize local spiritual uh, leadership. Number three, four easy ways to split a church. Number three, avoid dealing with known sin. Avoid dealing with known sin. Uh, we've, we, we've, we've said in the title, Messy Church, there's known sin all over this church. Nobody apparently is doing anything about anything. It's just everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And Paul has to write from hundreds of miles away to the church people and basically state the obvious, what in the world are you guys doing in my mind, here's what's happening in this church that Paul's writing to. The scriptures have become marginalized. They're no longer the authoritative voice in the room. They have stopped truthing, which uh, to me is speaking the truth in love. 
I don't know. I, this is just my experience. Today, many churches won't even call sin, sin, much less deal with the sin. They're not even calling it sin. I had somebody come up to me after the first service, the church they came from. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big love fest. It's, let's all just do a big group hug. And nobody's saying this is right and this is wrong. Uh, nobody's pointing out in Scripture what's pleasing to God. So, so they're not even calling it sin, much less dealing with it. And by the grace of God, will always be a place where somebody could visit today, and if you're that person, here's how we want you to think of Lakeside. We want you to come through the doors, see people that generally have messy lives, but we gather together because of what Christ has done for us. This is a place of grace. This is a safe zone, and as we go through Scripture a chunk at a time, if God calls something sin, we're going to call it sin. Amen? Now, we're going to call it sin from a gospel heart. We're going to say we've been down that road personally ourselves. The one talking to you is not sinless. We've just been down the road a little bit farther, and we're going to talk about the majestic gospel of Christ. Amen? That's how we're going to be. But if a church is going to split, if Lakeside is going to split 10 years from now, this is going to be one of the ingredients. Is we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to go with the culture. Could I use the word without getting everybody's mind on a rabbit trail? We're going to go woke. And we're not going to call sin, sin, right, right, wrong, wrong. By the grace of God, we're not going down that path. Amen? Okay, number four. So if you're here as a sinner today, you're in a good place. We're glad you're here. You're, you're, you're in amongst a group of people who care. Uh, n- number four, you forget what matters most. You forget what matters most. Now, if you look at our passage... It seems that the Corinthians divided over who was baptizing who. Uh, notice, I'll just start at verse 12, and I'll read, read down through. So he's saying, you're quarreling. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or uh, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Nope. I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't even know whether I baptized. He couldn't even remember if he baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me, notice the words, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now listen, baptism is important. Baptism is commanded. The Great Commission, as you're, as you're going, make disciples, followers of Christ. The command, baptize them in the name of Paul or Dave or Joel or Church. No, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So the New Testament did something really crazy. They took Christ at his words, and they went out making disciples, And almost immediately in the New Testament, when somebody professed Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, they were publicly baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Paul is not diminishing baptism. As a matter of fact, in the first century, 
You would have had a hard argument to make with somebody that they would have thought you were a a general, authentic Christian if you weren't immediately uh, baptized by immersion uh, in in some kind of uh, public setting. It It would have just been unheard of. And Paul did baptize several at the beginning of his ministry. He mentions Crispus. In Acts 18, he was the ruler of the synagogue. I mean, that was a big thing, Paul. That was right at the very beginning. And then he mentions Gaius. Uh, most think that that's where Paul actually was living. They were the host family. And then maybe another other family. But he can't remember anybody else. So I want to do something just for a second and stand off to the side. Now, baptism is important, but it's not the most important thing. Can I, can I get an amen to that? It's a picture of the gospel. It's a response to the gospel, but it's not itself the gospel. So we would say at Lakeside Fellowship that baptism does not take away sin and baptism does not make somebody a child of God. And so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mention this because this is part of my history. So then if infant baptism was a legitimate thing in the New Testament, and it did make somebody a child of God. That's what a number of uh, traditions of uh, Christianity say. Or like I was brought up, it does take away sin, infant baptism. Just follow my reasoning. Wouldn't Paul baptize every single person he could baptize? If it was part of the gospel, if it took away sins, if it brought you into the family of God, why wouldn't he do that the very first? He's like, hey, we're going to have a free baptism service here. Like everybody welcome. I'll even pay you to come and get baptized. So, So baptism is biblical. It's commanded, but it's not the gospel. And so they were getting their eyes off of, well, so and so, Paulus baptized me. Like who baptized you? And so and so baptized me. So they were getting their eyes off of what matters most. And here's what we say at Lakeside. What matters most is the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. By your finished work on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven. The lordship of Christ. He now is the reason I'm going to live my life to please him. If you were just to do a little Bible study on your own through the first 10 or 11 verses, just underline every time where it says, Lord, Jesus Christ, and just study what that means. And then the centrality of Christ. It's like, no, it's, it's him. And so what I would say is the more worldly the world gets, the more of Christ Christianity needs to get. Do you, do you follow me? More of Christ. Now, let me just end with three things. And I'm basically, I'll read one portion of scripture, but I'm just going to give you these three things as my, my time is just, just up. I have, I have a minute here. So let me give you three things to help strengthen Lakeside. And here's the idea that long after I'm gone, if the Lord hasn't come back, that Lakeside is a lean, mean fighting machine for Christ, that we're unified, we're going the same direction, we're, we're, we're grabbed onto the same absolutes, the cross is central, uh, Christ is central, the gospel is central, and the supremacy of Christ is, there's, there's no doubt, they are, they are Christ people. And so here's, here's three things that we could do just to kind of help, help strengthen us to, to do even better at what we, I'm praising God that we've done in our first 19 years. Number one, corporately answer the prayer of Christ. And I'm going to give you a couple of verses out of Christ's prayer that he prayed on the night that he was betrayed. And here's what he said. And this is all through, you can read chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, and then chapter 18, he goes to the cross. So he says, I do not ask for these only, 
he's talking to the Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So he's saying, I'm not even talking, not just these disciples, but anybody that follows them, which is us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. He's talking about this ideal church family that are perfectly one, so that the world, here's one of the side effects, that the world out there that sees division and hatred in an election year and the ugliness, what do they need to see? They need to see this group of people with messy lives that are all coming around the majestic gospel, amen, and so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What I would love to ask is for every person that would call uh, themselves a Christian, that would call themselves a part of the family of God, that, that you would commit to answering this par- prayer of Christ as much as lies uh, uh, within you. Uh, number two, personally adopt the mind of Christ. You go to Philippians chapter 2, and the mind of Christ was self-sacrificing and, and giving and humble, humbled himself and sacrificed himself for the good of others. He gave up his entire life, unconditional love. A.W. Tozer said 100 pianos all turned to, tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. So we're thinking of the mind of Christ. They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard, in our case Christ, to which each must individually bow. So I use this in premarital counseling or marriage counseling. If you have a, a husband and a wife, a man or woman, two people who are both aiming to please Christ with their lives, what naturally happens as they're individually aiming for Christ? What happens to them? They, they corporately, they, they become one. They become closer. The problems disappear. The personal preferences that gnaw at one or the other start disappearing. The same is true of a church. If each person that calls Lakeside home, if I'm aiming for Christ and you're aiming for Christ and you're, we're going to meet up and we're going to be like-minded, amen? We're going to be unified in spirit. We're not going to, we're not going to be saying, well, you know, I think, Dave, that you should, you know, we should have this kind of, you know, whatever. It's not Those personal preferences are going to pale in comparison to the glories of Christ. Isn't that the kind of church we want to be a part of? It is for me. And just lastly, daily prioritize the cross of Christ. You come back next week, Pastor Trevor is going to preach a message that talks about the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of the cross. You will not want to miss it because it is point number three. Daily prioritize the cross of Christ. Let me pray. Father, thanks. I thank you, Lord, that with an absolute pure spirit, absolute authentic truth, that when we were singing about the goodness of you, the goodness of God, in my heart and in my spirit and in my life, I could hold up my hands and I could say, thank you, Lord, for 19, almost 19 years of being a a part of Lakeside Fellowship. I thank you for the unity I thank you for the ability to reason and think through issues and problems. And Lord, there's been many. 
I thank you for the absolutes of Scripture. I thank you for the convictions that have been developed. I thank you that you've gathered a group of people that, 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 that aren't uniform, but they're united. That they, their personal preferences are different, but they don't bring it to the table and demand their individual rights. What a joy, Lord. I pray that, I pray that a thousand other pastors would know the joy of pastoring, being a part of a church that is, that is as much as humanly possible, being led by the Spirit, going in the same direction. Lord, if there is one here this morning, and no doubt there are many that don't know the beauty of ha- taking a messy life and laying it at the foot of the cross, trusting in your son's finished work on the cross for the forgiveness and the washing away of bad decisions and, and a horrible life circumstances and absolute sin. I pray right now, Lord, that they would put their mind and their heart and, and they would speak uh, just, just to you, Lord. Your, your, your son is the media. They would speak just to you and ask for forgiveness. And they would ask for cleansing and they'd ask for eternal life. And then they'd want to join the fold, be a part of the messy church with a majestic gospel. Oh, Lord, help us to always uh, be this kind of church. Lord, would you bless us in the history of Lakeside as you have blessed us, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's precious name. Amen.